Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstey's Farm, Estates and Rural Land Team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights and practical advice on rural developments and current affairs. Thank you for joining us again today. Today's discussion is looking at the issues around jointly owned farmland. In particular, we're looking at arrangements outside of marriages. We're going to consider multi-generational farms or farms owned by unmarried couples or siblings or other family members. The way in which the land is owned can frequently give rise to many challenges and potential disputes. We come across it every day in our work. We'll look at how property can be split between joint owners and how to document this in a way which can hopefully avoid future disputes. We'll also touch upon what can be done if joint property owners do fall out and wish to go their separate ways but have different opinions on what should be done with the property. These circumstances can give rise to lots of potential issues and disputes. One relevant piece of legislation is Trusts of Land and Appointment of Trustees Act of 1996, commonly known as Talatha. Joining us today are Rose Westwood from our Farms, Estates and Rural Land team and Georgia Day from our family team. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Edward. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, please can you perhaps uh, kick off by explaining why we're discussing these issues today and where Talata has cropped up within your practice areas. Rose, can you comment first? Yeah, so these disputes arise very frequently in the agricultural context, unfortunately. And this is mainly because farms are just often run in a multi-generational way, can have lots of different family owners involved. And you see many scenarios where a farm has obviously passed down through the generation. So it might have been with mum and dad originally, but then it's been handed down to siblings and you could have multiple siblings farming together. But then they might reach a point in their lives where they want to go separate ways or, or they fall out, have a disagreement. And then it becomes a very difficult decision as what do you do with that jointly owned farm if people don't agree? So um, we do see that quite often. The other scenario with family farms is when you get a new partner involved, so a long-term girlfriend or boyfriend that comes on the scene and moves into the farm and starts working in the farming business, sometimes that can impact on the ownership of the property and different questions that, that come up from that. Uh, Georgia, what about you in, in the family law team? You often come across these issues as well. Yes, we do. Um, and I think you know they can kind of arise in a couple of scenarios. Firstly, where a farm could be in the name of one person, but it might be that their partner had contributed to mortgage or they might have paid all the deposit or a larger share of the deposit or they might have made other forms of financial contribution to that property that may entitle them to claim a share in the property. Alternatively, it might be where the farm is in the name of two or more people, but the co-owners are in a dispute about kind of what their shares of that property should be. And that might be because one of them has paid more towards the property during the time they've had it, either through a larger contribution to the deposit or to the mortgage or through extensive renovations. I think what's just important to note here is that these claims, from my point of view, they only arise where the co-owners are not married. So if co-owners are married, then the disputes will be dealt with under the Matrimonial Causes Act and not through Talata. There, there is this idea of kind of misconception that there's a legal right to a common law marriage. And that's the idea that if you're not married, but you are in a long-term cohabiting relationship, that you're afforded the same right as married couples and the breakdown of any relationship. That simply isn't the case, actually. So if you are in a cohabiting relationship, you don't have the same kind of protection as married couples do. And on the breakdown of any relationship, your property is dealt with under Talata, and that's how those disputes would be resolved. Rose, can you perhaps, uh, sort of taking it back to basics, can you explain the, the different ways in which jointly owned property can be held? 
Yeah, sure. So this is where people quite often get into a muddle, really, because it's quite legally technical. But obviously try and just simplify it. But there are two ways, basically, that you can jointly own property between co-owners. One is as joint tenants and the other is as tenants in common. With joint tenants, both of you will own the whole property. So you will not each have a quantifiable share in the property. And usually we see that in the married context. So you're married together and you buy a property and you own it jointly. But with that, if you separate or you want to sell up or one of you dies, there's a quite strong legal presumptions there about the co-ownership. So because it's presumed that you own the whole jointly, it's quite easy to resolve disputes there because the court will start with a presumption of 50-50 ownership. And also, if you pass away without a will, there's still a presumption of what's known as survivorship, whereby the other co-owner will automatically have your share. So it's it's an easier kind of way of dealing with things, but it's not always possible. If um, there's more of you and you're outside of that marriage setting, it's often that you'll hold it in a different way, which is called tenants in common. And in that scenario, each of you will hold a specified share in the property. And you do need to consider things like whether each person's share in the property will be fixed or whether those shares will vary according to the financial contributions made by each person during the ownership of the property. So, you know, you can decide at the beginning if there's, say, three of you that are owning it, you can all have a third each. Or if one of you's put in more money than the others, then maybe one would have 50% and the others 25% each. But because you own a specified share in the property, the biggest difference is you can leave that share in your will to somebody else. So there's no presumption on your death that it would pass to the co-owners. You know, say three siblings own it together and one of them passes away, they can leave their share to their children, for example. But disputes do arise in this context where it's not clear what percentage share of the property each co-owner holds. And this can often be the case with family farms, especially in scenarios where the farm's been passed down through the generations. And sometimes it's, it's just not clear what the joint owner's shares are and there can be arguments over that when it comes to sell the property. I referred in my opening to um, Talata. Georgia, can you explain a little bit more about that piece of legislation, how it's relevant to what we're talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Talata is quite a mouthful. It's the Trust of Land and Appointment of Trustees Act. And this works basically where there's a dispute over ownership of land. So Talata allows one of the owners of jointly owned property to petition the court to make a determination about that land and about what should happen to that land. But Talata also protects parties who may have a hidden beneficial interest in the property. So they may not necessarily own the property, but have a beneficial interest by virtue of contributions that they may have made to the property during that time. And that can be in relation to dependent adults or also to cohabitees. And Talata gives the court a really wide discretion on what they can do. And there's kind of various different things that the court can make an order about when an application is made. So the court can determine the intentions of the person who created the trust of land. The court can force a sale of land or the property, which is a really useful tool when the parties aren't in agreement over whether the property should be sold or not. The court can also allow a co-owner to reoccupy a property when a co-owner refuses to leave. The court can allow other parties who have a beneficial interest to recover their financial interest. The court can determine what share of the property each co-owner is entitled to. And we see that quite a lot where there's a dispute over whether they own it equally or not. And the court can also determine the nature of the ownership. Thanks, Georgia. Rose, could you perhaps talk about who can bring a claim under Talata? 
Yeah, so section 14 of the Act provides that any person who is a trustee of land or has an interest in property subject to a trust can make an application to the court. And that is actually a very wide definition. So it could include a person who's a trustee of land. So when we were talking about the scenarios earlier, joint tenants, tenants in common, they would be trustees of land. But it can also include others. So as Georgia was talking about, those with beneficial interests. So even though they're not on the legal title, perhaps they've been living there for a long time and been contributing towards the mortgage or they've paid to renovate the property and they're arguing they've got a beneficial interest in that property because of that. Or it could be where someone has died and those dealing with their estate, so their executors, for example, they could bring a claim. If one of the trustees, so one of the landowners has gone bankrupt, for example, then it might be that the bank as part of a a mortgage steps in or other creditors or even people who've got a right to live in the property such as dependent children or if you've got a dependent adult there so it's it's very very broad the wide definition really brings a wealth of benefits to those individuals who may not be the original parties to a property transaction so like we said it, it does afford protection to those outside of actually who's on the legal title However, that does have some drawbacks. So such a wide definition can often then open a Pandora's box of potential claims. So there's lots of different people who could argue they've got an interest in the property. And like we've said, that does arise quite often in the family farming scenario that we, we see quite often where people just get into all sorts of a muddle, really, if, especially if the property has, like I said, been passed through generations and maybe the paperwork's not very clear. There can be all sorts of disputes about how much each party owns. Yeah, absolutely. Rose, when we, you and I see it often in our day-to-day work about how these disputes can often snowball into much larger family disputes, sadly. Do you want to talk a little bit about where we see it, uh, obviously, with regards to the dissolution of partnerships, where obviously the question can often come up as well? Yeah, so often in the uh, farming world, people farm in a general partnership and that's how they, they run their business. And there's always a question with a partnership as to whether the farmland itself sits outside of the partnership or it becomes a partnership asset. So if it remains outside of the partnership and it's not included in the partnership capital, the land will continue to be invested with whoever was formerly recorded as the legal owner. And if there's a dissolution of the partnership or a partner dies and that comes to some sort of discussion as to what happens to that farmland, Often it will mean that because the partnership does not include the farmland as an asset, that there isn't much of a change and you can look at the legal title and that's relatively simple. The more difficult scenario is if the farmland is a partnership asset and sometimes that is done for tax reasons and you know we won't get into that now, but accountants can often advise that, that there are benefits to that. But that can give rise to various disputes over ownership. So if one partner passes away and wants to leave the farmland in their will to people outside of the partnership, or another example is when the partnership is dissolved and perhaps they've been farming happily together for a number of years, but for whatever reason they want to go their separate ways. On that dissolution, it's not always clear how ownership of the property should be divided. And if there is a dispute there, then one way of resolving it is to bring a Talata claim. Georgia, and obviously in your work as well, these issues come up in relation to obviously sadly family disagreements and family breakdowns. Can you talk about a little bit about your experience where you see these Talata disputes arise? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a few different scenarios that we see this in. And, you know, one of them can be in the kind of context of family disagreement. So, you know, tensions of farm life 
They can sometimes result in family disagreements about how the land should be managed. And in those contexts, you know, the family relationship might not entirely break down, but it might be that there's a need for the families to actually farm their own sections of what was once a large family farm. Um, so that disagreement could be about actually who's entitled to what piece of land and who is going to farm what of the whole. And the court can step in in that context to make a decision about who has what and, and how that process works. But it can also be in kind of a more final scenario, and that's on a kind of a total breakdown of relationship. In some instances, family tensions, they can become irreparable and a clean break between the family members is really the only way forward. So often, I know Rose was talking about this earlier, there can be multi-generational farmers living on one holding and, and that can make it really hard to divide assets, not only between the parties, but also if one party wants out, it can be really hard to find that capital to buy that other party out and to make a decision on what should be sold and how it should all be divided up. And in these situations, an application can be made to the court to determine the division of the farm under Talata. This also applies as much to you know, a couple who are running the farm, living together as cohabitees, as it does to a multi-generational family or siblings all living in the same farm. Rose, if you, if you do end up having to make an application to court, what will the court be looking at when they consider that application? Yeah, so they'll look at a number of things. They'll look at whether the property is still needed by the parties as a family home, and that's very relevant as well if there are young children involved. They'll also consider whether the property is required to provide accommodation for the duration of a co-owner's life or their surviving partner. Sometimes that might be necessary. You can see scenarios where perhaps there's a particularly elderly party that's quite unwell and they're being given care out of the home or, again, when children are involved. They also look at things like whether the property is needed to allow business to continue. So they will consider if that property is essential for the farming business and the impact of that. They'll also look at whether there's been any misconduct by a person applying to the court for sale and how they've behaved in the dispute. They'll also consider the intentions of the parties when they bought the property or when they inherited the property, especially if there's written documents, they'll obviously take that on board. And they'll also consider the financial standing of the different owners. So if one is declared bankrupt, for example, or if there's a creditor involved. So yeah, there's quite a few different factors that they'll take into account there. But the most helpful kind of thing that we've seen is those written documents are so important. So they will definitely be looking at transfers, wills and, and anything else that can kind of help to determine how that property was intended to be owned. Thanks, Rose. In, in terms of avoiding these disputes, all three of us would strongly advocate doing everything you can to uh, reasonably avoid getting involved in these sorts of disputes. Georgia, can you talk through some of the options that people should be thinking about to try to avoid having to go to the time and stressful and costly step of uh, actually getting involved in the court process. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you are considering bringing a Talata claim, the most cost-effective methods and also the most time-efficient methods of resolving a dispute would be to engage in a form of alternative dispute resolution. So that's basically reaching an agreement outside of the court process. And, and the kind of the three main examples of ADR, which is alternative dispute resolution, would be negotiation. So that would simply be respective solicitors negotiating on the party's behalf to try and settle the claim without the need for issuing proceedings. I would also, you know, always encourage parties to look at mediation. That's where there would be a third party who would be a qualified mediator, would meet with the parties and try and help facilitate a resolution. And it's usually a really effective way of reaching a resolution. 
And there's also arbitration, which is where a specialised third party is appointed at, to make a decision in the Talata claim. And, and that decision would actually be binding on the parties, but that is outside of the court process. And obviously, as a last resort, there is always issuing a court claim, but you know it should really be considered as a last resort. It's important to remember that while the court will consider the law and try to balance the needs of both parties, the judge won't necessarily understand or appreciate the nuances of certain farming practices and may make a decision that balances the needs of both parties, but may not always be in the best interest of the business. And another thing I'd say about any kind of court proceedings is the costs involved can very, very quickly outstrip any financial award. And especially as the losing party is required to play the winning party's costs. So not only is it, you know, financially a huge burden to take a matter to court, it's also really, um, there's a lot of time involved in it. So it's emotionally and financially fairly uh, strenuous. Absolutely. As we also discussed, and we only really touched upon it today, these claims are very complicated. Rose, what do you have in mind in terms of steps that people can take to avoid even getting involved in these sorts of disputes? What sort of documentation should they be thinking about speaking to their advisors and their sisters about getting prepared? Yeah, so when you're owning land together, particularly outside of the marriage context, you'd most commonly be owning it as um, tenants in common. And we talked about that earlier and the fact that you'd have separate shares in the property. And the dispute normally arises because there's a disagreement over what everyone's shares are. So say you've got three brothers that own it together, you might think, well, it, it should be 30%, but maybe one of them is, is the one that's really driving the farming business and has had more involvement or has invested more money. So maybe an assumption of 30-30-30 split is just not fair. So if you're in that scenario, then the easiest thing to do to make it clear as to how the property should be divided is prepare what's known as a deed of trust. And within that, you can come to an agreement between yourselves as co-owners as to how that ownership should be divided. And there's flexibility within that. So you can agree whether it's a fixed share or if it's going to depend on contributions that are made throughout the period of ownership. So it's quite a flexible and useful document. Certainly encourage clients to consider that in the context of, of jointly owned farmland. And the other thing that they can do is also consider preparing extensive partnership agreements. So we talked about the scenario earlier where disputes can arise because the partnership has the farmland as an asset and um, that can give rise to all sorts of claims if the partnership is then dissolved or new partners come on board and it can just create a lot of confusion. So if you've got a written partnership agreement, you can be very clear then, does the farmland sit within the partnership or is it going to remain outside of the partnership and continue with the legal owners? And that can certainly help in the future to avoid disputes because you've got it all in writing and you can look back at that document to help you decide how the property should then be divided. Thank you, Rose. Uh, Georgia, what would you, would anything you want to add to that? I, I mean, I would reiterate exactly what Rose has just said. You know, it's really important that the intentions of the co-owners are captured at the time um, that property is bought or afterwards and also about kind of recapturing those intentions following the introduction of new family members. And, you know, other ways the family team can help with that would be through cohabitation agreements and also prenuptial agreements. Thank you both for your time today. It's been really helpful. Before we conclude, could you perhaps um, each comment on what your top tips are for people listening to this who are concerned about this uh, subject? Rose, perhaps you go first. Yeah, so I'd just say that the biggest top tip is don't be afraid to discuss these issues as a family. Avoiding a problem in the future is obviously essential and what everybody is going to want to achieve. 
And so I, I think it is important, especially considering with like succession planning with farming in particular, then these conversations do arise. I think it's important to have these open discussions about who's going to own the farm in the future, what shares um, each person is going to have in that ownership and get that written down if you can, you know, enter into a deed of trust or, you know, talk to your solicitor about getting a partnership agreement drawn up and make sure you keep those documents updated because obviously circumstances can change. New family members can come in or, you know, you can be considering retirement of other family members. So always keep in mind that conversation and, and don't be afraid to talk about it as a family. Thank you, Rose. Uh, Georgia, is there anything you'd like to add to close? I mean, again, I think just echoing what Rose has said, you know, prevention is better than the cure. So it's about being aware of what protective measures there are that can be taken as a precautionary step, whether that's a deed of trust, a partnership agreement, a cohabitation agreement. And like Rose said, you know, don't be afraid to discuss these issues if a new member joins a family in the farming business or if a long-term girlfriend or boyfriend moves to the farm and starts farming alongside the family. You know, it's just really important to make sure that everyone's on the same page and knows where they stand and always that there's documentary evidence and support. Thank you both. We really, uh, really appreciate your time today. Lots of interesting points come out of this podcast and I hope there's a lot of helpful practical advice for those who are listening. The main point to take away is, of course, try to prevent these issues ever arising. A lot of the topics we've covered today I've touched upon in other episodes in our podcast series around wills and around partnership agreements. So please do have a listen to those and have a look at our website and subscribe for future editions of this podcast. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Experts in the Field episode from Foot Anstey. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at our website, footanstey.com.